Hello, I'm Matt White and this is Fodder, the food and drink podcast for Greater Manchester. In this episode, we're off on holiday to Leeds. Now, over recent years, Manchester has felt a bit of an influence from Leeds. Michelin-starred chef Michael O'Hare came from the city's man behind the curtain to open Rabbit in the Moon. And, of course, one of our city's now firm favourites, Bundabus, was founded and first opened in Leeds before it made its way down the M62 to Piccadilly Gardens. But considering how close the city is to us, I very rarely visit. So... Time to change that. Time to check out what they have to offer. And I couldn't have picked a better weekend as it was bang in the middle of their indie food festival. I jumped on a train and met up with my pal Simon at the train station. Hello, Matt. Welcome to Leeds. He's not much of a talker. Our first stop was a place called North Star Coffee Roasters down on Leeds Dock, a short walk out of the city centre. It's a cool little place, staff that know what they're talking about, amazing selection of cakes and crucially, great, great coffee, which, by the way, they roast themselves on the premises. I sat down with Holes, director of North Star, to find out exactly how that process came about. really out of a kind of realisation that there wasn't anything um, of a similar vein happening in Leeds or really in Manchester at the time. We set up about 2013, about five years ago, and um, it was really out of a frustration at not being able to get a great cup of coffee in our hometown, and our home city. So um, beyond sort of recognising there was no one else doing it, you know, it was really just because we felt a personal uh, sort of responsibilities to try and um, raise the standard of coffee served you know across the city um, how much difference does it really make though so obviously I buy my coffee ready roasted it's probably been roasted in Italy and sent yeah. over what difference does it make to the taste the fact that you roast it here on site mm-hmm. well yeah I mean coffee is like an agricultural product so very very susceptible to aging and um, you know, uh, once it's been roasted, particularly once it's been ground, it'll start to stale and you lose all of those amazing intrinsic sort of qualities that really make it what it is. So um, a key sort of principle of our business is we roast to order. So we never ever have coffee sat around that's been roasted, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And we literally roast to order, you know, so when customers place an order, it's like a bespoke, um, you know, it can often be a bespoke blend or a bespoke requirement for them. Um, And you really do taste that difference in the cup, you know, like we're sourcing the top sort of three to 4% of what's grown globally in terms of the quality. Um, So for us to then kind of roast it and send it out maybe two or three months after it's been roasted, it makes no sense because you lose all of everything that makes it special in the first place we'll just go and and you do tastings here as well yeah so a big part of um, our businesses is in kind of coffee education so we're one of um, only I think three sites in the UK that offer sensory courses in in coffee tasting so it's kind of like doing your sommelier qualifications in wine you know the same uh, principle applies in coffee so we offer um, industry accredited courses for like coffee professionals but we also do you know, sort of informal cuppings and tastings that we can put on for members of the public or for our wholesale customers. Uh, we have some here, uh, and this is a tasting spoon. I guess it's a, a little like a soup spoon, isn't yeah. it? It's quite deep. Yeah. Um, so how, what's the correct way for me to taste this coffee? So what you want to be doing is um, taking some coffee onto your spoon um, and what we're trying to do is recognise that when we're tasting coffee um, the flavour recognition and the kind of aroma recognition all of that happens in our nose it's not our tongue that tells us what flavour we're tasting the only role our tongue plays is in working out if something's acidic if it's sweet, bitter, salty um, so what we need to do with cupping is slurp it in a manner that kind of... Um, 
gets all of those sort of volatile aromatics up into the roof of your nasal cavity where your olfactory epithelium is and that's that is the kind of instrument we use to recognize coffee's flavor so you want to essentially we're always told never to slurp our food but that's precisely what you need to do in this instance so i need to give us a big slurp and the bigger slurp the the more exactly like the more air you can get into your on you know sort of to carry those aromas up into your um, nose the better you're going to taste what should i be getting from this by the way which one is this this is a single origin peruvian so um when i sort of uh, landed that and approved it the flavors that sort of jumped out to me were kind of peach um milk chocolate um, and hints of floral notes as well okay let's see Yeah, but th- but then I am quite suggestible. So if you yeah. tell me I'm going to taste some, I will. But I yeah. really got that. Mm-hmm. And what's the story behind? Sometimes you can uh, grind some coffee and it will smell of potatoes. Mm. Yeah, so it, that's a really interesting phenomenon, really, in the coffee industry, and it's something that's very specific to Rwanda or Burundi, parts of East Africa. Um, and essentially, it's just um, it's a defect that can manifest itself. Uh, in coffee because when it spent time as a living organism on the tree um, a fly called the antetsi fly can perforate the skin of the cherry and it leaves it open and susceptible to this very precise microflora and fauna that exists only in those countries and the thing that's interesting about it is it's totally invisible you can't do anything about it you know to kind of get it out of your bag of coffee Um, and the only time you become aware of it is when the coffee's been roasted it's in a coffee shop and they're grinding the coffee and the air is just filled with the aroma of um, raw potato so there you go holes from north star coffee roasters and if you do go check out the morning cake that they do and by the way you absolutely should go during my research for this trip i'd heard one restaurant mentioned time and time again that restaurant is home and let me tell you something about home it's incredible. It's got a stunning dining room, an equally amazing menu, and we decided to go for the six-course taster menu. Dishes like cod cheek and mushy peas, beef tartare, followed by quite possibly the best carrot cake I have ever eaten. Seriously, I do not use that phrase lightly. The staff were bang on too. Our waitress was an absolute star, and I tried desperately to remember her name so I could big her up, but I had the matching wine flight and I was a little bit levered when I left, so sorry, I forgot your name. The names I do remember, though, are the two founders, Mark Owens and Liz Cotton. Mark, a former head chef of a Michelin-style restaurant, and Liz, a former MasterChef contestant. After the meal, Liz and I went up and sat out on the rooftop, soaked in sunshine, looking out over the Victoria marketplace, and we spoke about how MasterChef began it all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how I've ended up here. It was completely unplanned. Um, obviously, I, I, I kind of made the application to MasterChef, so I wanted to go on the TV show, but I had absolutely... It was it was the last thing that I wanted to do was to be a professional chef. Were people were people encouraging you, saying, because you could cook at home, well, got, apply, apply? Yeah, yeah, they did that all the time, and I was like, the one person... Well, I think probably all contestants will say this, but I was the girl screaming at the television just saying crying out loud what are you doing that for you know <laughs> so lots of people like you should give it a go um and yeah I was at a bit of a crossroads in my life I was relatively successful at what I was doing wasn't really happy with mm. it and um thought you know the next half of my life needed to be about something doing something that I loved so chucked in the application for well actually I'm lying so two years before I applied because everyone had persuaded me to and I got on 
and um, I just completely shit my pants and just said I, I don't know why I'm doing this so I kind of backed out of it what didn't go through with it yeah yeah oh, I didn't know that <laughs> and then two years later uh, was in a bit more of a, a place where I wanted to do something different with my life and wanted to commit to something else so um, threw in another application and got on again. Did they know that through. you were the one that had pulled out the time Yeah, yeah, they remembered me. Yeah, I did wonder whether or not I'd had one yeah. crack at it. No thanks, love. <laughs> yeah, you, you turned us down. So, yeah, no, they, they kind of bit my hand off, really, and got me on. Um, and then all the way through the show, they're, they're kind of asking you, so what do you want to do with this? What do you want to do with the opportunity for MasterChef? And I was like, well... I'm not an idiot. I don't want to be a chef. <laughs> <laughs> I, I even even more um, don't want my own restaurant because it's super super risky. Uh, very very hard work. Antisocial hours. Um, you name it. There's lots of good reasons not to do it. So I genuinely had no inkling that that's what I'd end up doing two years later. And, but that's the beautiful thing about life, isn't it? it kind of surprises you it absolutely does so so what is the ethos behind this what, what are you trying to other than serving good food to people what are you trying to set out to do here at home it's an interesting one um i think as a restaurant we want to make people happy which sounds a bit cliche and cheesy but i don't think enough restaurants set out to make their customers happy i think a lot of restaurateurs and chefs want to make themselves happy as in you know they want to be feel proud of what they're putting on the plate in a chefy way they want to out chef other chefs they want to feel like you know there's lots of kudos to what they're doing it's quite ego driven um and we don't do that so we're we're about creating wonderful experiences we connect with our customers we want to um we want to make them happy we genuinely um care about them coming back um, which sounds like all the stuff that I think people would expect a restaurant to be about. But yeah, so the heart and soul of, of what we're about is about making people feel at home, which is where the name came from. Ah. You know, yeah. What I like about this is it is a, it's a very grand space. It's a nice light and airy dining room. It's, it's beautiful. But the street that it's on... Not, and I'm not trying. I'm not trying to do the street <laughs> down. I've got to be careful here. No, no. But it, it's it's above a Poundland. It's off opposite a Pound Bakery. It, yeah. It's you wouldn't expect to find a restaurant like this on this street. No, absolutely not. And there's 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 lots of positives from that. There's a few negatives. Um, yeah, it's not it's not where you expect us to be, and I, I like that. Mm. You know, we're a destination restaurant, and we're we're not ever gonna want people to be kind of coming off the street and asking what we're all about um you know being a tasting menu um being uh, you know you have to pre-book to come it's it's, it's a good thing that you know we, we, we're not kind of in a prominent position where absolutely anyone could walk off the street but also just from a just from a kind of a identity perspective um we are not the finished article and we're not glossy glossy and shiny shoes and hairdos we're very real and um it feels like we're we're exactly where we belong really <laughs> talking of where you belong how important is it to you that this restaurant's in leeds oh yeah i mean like a hundred percent i'm a leeds girl born and bred and I'm extremely proud of, of, of that. Um, having been a customer for most of my life rather than a chef, um, I've been eternally disappointed <laughs> <laughs> with the lack of choice at that higher end of the wedge yep. um, that we have here in the city. And also just very disappointed at um, the, the number of non-independents, you know, chains and lots of kind of, lots of big companies throwing lots of money at spaces here in Leeds. And, you know, there'd be no heart and soul um, as a customer 
out there on, on the lead scene. So um, yeah, it just makes so much sense for us to be here. There you are, that was Liz Cotton. Um, again, this may be because of the matching wine flight that I drank, but when I left there, I was just a tiny little bit in love with Liz, but a massive bit in love with home. If there's only ever one place in Leeds that you go to, it should be this. There's also a good beer scene in Leeds. North Brewing Co. has only been around for about three years, but it's already established itself not just in Leeds, but across the country as one of the best breweries there is. They were set up by North Bar, who claim that they were probably the first craft beer in the country, but I genuinely can't tell whether they mean that or not. They also do something called Eat North. This is where street food meets decent booze and has a kind of party every Saturday. Sarah is the brewery's tap manager. She told me more. We like to have a good time down here. This is, I think, what we're synonymous for in the local area. We're a little bit of a unique venue. People have to walk a few minutes out of the city centre to find us, but when they find us, I think they find something quite magical. Um, in a lot of uh, breweries and environments, you can't actually get right up close and personal inside. And obviously the brewery tap is situated right in the centre of the brewery. So we're a fully working brewery from Monday to Friday. And then on a Friday afternoon, we uh, transform it into an event space and then we invite everybody into it. So at the moment we're running the Eat North Street Food Festival in partnership with Leeds Indie Food. Um, and what we're doing with that is um, we're bringing four or five different street food providers every week. Um, and then we have marvellous soulful sounds from the wonderful Ed Rector who comes and DJs for us and we do sometimes also have other DJs as well and then basically what we uh, we do we just invite people to come and hang out for the day so we're open from 12 we usually stay open until 11 midnight and people just come and hang out and chill with us and it's a really nice relaxed vibe you know kids are welcome dogs yeah. are welcome families you know, everybody's welcome at the brewery and we try to create that sort of environment for people. How would you say the beer scene is within Leeds at the moment? Oh, it's magnificent. I mean, in terms of choice, it's never been better, has it, if you're a craft beer drinker. I mean, it's in terms of where you get all... Within a short walk of us, we've got some great um, pubs and bars like the Reliance and Belgrave and the Brunswick and we're all just a few minutes apart and that's just us in North Leeds so and then obviously down as far as sort of North Bar and then the rest of Last question. Yes. I'm going to go to the bar. Yes. What shall I have? I think today because we've got a special collaboration brew on um, it was brewed with uh, with uh, Brewery de Molen who are based in um, in Holland um, it's a very special brew it's a table beer um, it's a bit of a one time only office so if you don't drink it today you'll probably not get any more again so that's my recommendation plus it's delicious i didn't have it sorry sarah i had a sputnik which i would also recommend google north brewing co to find out exactly where their beers are stocked now later that evening i was taken to a forest across leeds for some of the best alfresco dining i've genuinely ever had this was a secret banquet put together by beth weber from forest found the meal was bang in the middle of the woods and you had to kind of walk past water and go through bushes to get there. We sat and ate by candlelight along massive long tables whilst the food cooked and opened fires. Now the chef was a guy called Josh Whitehead and I grabbed him and had just a very quick chat before we ate. Uh, I'm just trying to make a, a big ass fire. Well, obviously. But I'm going to like lean some sides of trout in front of it that have been nailed to a board. 
You make it sound so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like a really old school way of cooking fish. So we're just going to nail them to the board and then stand them in front of the fire and just let them gently cook, I suppose. There's something quite exciting about cooking outdoors, isn't there? Yeah, it's like caveman cooking. You know, there's no, you know, not better than cooking meat and fish in front. Of oh well, they actually are nailed to a board. I thought you were just trying to be all manly and no, no. But what they are nailed to a board? No, literally got a hammer and some and some <laughs> nails out. Yeah, just nailed nailed them to a plank of wood. So we are literally in the woods now. As we look down into the clearing, there's a massive long dining table. It's it's like something out of a fairy tale, isn't it? Almost like the yeah. Mad Hatter's tea party. Yeah, it's really nice because I'd only been up here once before for a site visit before the event, so I didn't really. You know, I couldn't quite see what it was going to be like, but then I've come and it's, yeah, it's pretty wicked. As a kitchen, for you, how does this fare? I mean, it's it's different, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty different. Like, there's no running water, no electricity, nothing, nothing at all. Literally just fire. So by the time we serve the desserts, it's pitch black, and we know we've got like head torches on and stuff like that, doing oh, all the you? washing up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll look forward to that. <laughs> you live in Leeds. You work yeah, yeah. in Leeds. Um, how is the food scene from your perspective in Leeds at the moment? Well, it get, just gets better and better every year. You know, I think it's one of those where it's, you know, everyone everyone knows that, you know, in, Indies might struggle a little bit with the, like, constant constant expansion of big chains and stuff like that. But I think Leeds is, on its own has got such a strong independent food scene that I think the people of Leeds are, you know, pretty spoilt for choice. Really, you know, there's always, you know, there's always new places opening, always exciting things happening, you know, events, pop-ups, indie food festivals. There's one of those on at some point in the year, apparently. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it just gets better and better every year, as far as I'm concerned. Remember that name, by the way, Josh Whitehead. He's going to do great things. And if outdoor eating is your thing, go to forestfound.co.uk. So, that was that. That was my day in Leeds. I went to bed full, happy and full of beer. And what more could you ask for? I also made a lot of friends that day. And let me tell you this about the people of Leeds. They're sound, very friendly and they love their food. The next day, I had one more place I needed to visit. I'd arranged to meet Marco, co-owner of Bundabust. I let him choose the place and what a place it was. We're at um, Hedrow House. They've got a nice restaurant uh, situated in Hedrow House called Ox Club and they do great brunch, in fact, on every Saturday and every Sunday morning. Um, in the evenings they do good cooking, a lot of grill cooking. It's got a nice small menu. They have about six starters and six mains. It changes quite regularly. But yeah, and it's a lovely dining space as well. It's nice and simple, kind of St John-esque. Yeah, and as we've just discovered, they do a bl- bl- Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary's are fantastic. It's <laughs> working me right up. People know you, Marco, for uh, Bundabus, which is doing great things here in Leeds, great things in Manchester. Um, if people didn't know about Bundabus, how would you describe it? Essentially, it's uh, Indian street food, Gujarati street food, vegetarian, and we have a, a good and vast beer selection, so we focus on beer rather than wine. Um, it's kind of informal. It's a, It's got a bar atmosphere, even yeah. though... We do a lot of food. I think when we first opened in Leeds, we thought we'd be a bar that did a few Indian beer snacks on the side, but it was a food that kind of won people over, and we're definitely more more of a restaurant, I guess, and we do more food than wet sales. So. So, so where did the, the idea for Indian vegetarian street food come from? How did it all come about? So my business partner, Maya, who's um, kind of the 
the, ma the main guy in the kitchen at Bundo Bundobust. His family have got a restaurant in Dridlington and they've been going about 23 years. So he kind of grew up in the restaurant environment, um, cooking with his mum and the cuisine that they do is kind of regional to where his mum's from. So it's kind of legit. Um, I have a small bar in Bradford called Sparrow, um, focusing on beers. And we kind of got together just to do a one-off collaboration event. Um, I supplied the beers, Mayor did the cooking, and his family did the cooking, and it went well, and we decided it was a, a good idea maybe to do something more permanently. So we did a few pop-ups like you do, and um, kind of street food festivals and events, and then we found a site in Leeds, and we opened. It's really, really captured people's imaginations, isn't it? I mean, it, it's taken off. It has. Um, it's, it's a good surprise, really. We were a bit unsure that... You know, we were fully vegetarian. It was kind of... Which is a bit of a gamble, isn't it, I think? It is, it is. I mean, now vegetarian's big. You have National Vegetarian Week. But I think four years ago when we were opening, it was still... Uh, we were still thinking, should we have meat on the menu and things like that. But we stuck to his guns, really. And, uh, yeah, and, and stuck to the kind of regional, traditional dishes that his mum... We've Cuts. been here in Leeds uh, this weekend, having a look around, visiting different places, checking out the uh, the Indie Leeds Food Festival. Um, how do you see, how do you perceive the food scene to be in Leeds? It's friendly, it's very independent. I think a lot of the kind of punters support the independent businesses and root for them. Um, yeah, and it, like I say, it's very friendly. You know, I know of most of the kind of independent business owners, we work together. I mean, Leeds Indie Food Festival has brought a lot of people together and make connections amongst the community. So that, that that's what I'd say. They really like the independent vibe yeah. and laid back and it's not pretentious, it's chilled out. I, and I do keep hearing, I mean, I know because of the, the food festival going on at the moment, but there's always talk of collaborations. There's always people, that, there doesn't seem to be much competitiveness. Everyone seems to be working together. Exactly, and it's, it's great to work with other people as well, share ideas. Um, it's good to do to attract new uh, customers to the respective businesses as well. So mm -hmm. we've got a collaboration with Ox Club going on tonight, and hopefully, you know, we're, you know, we, you know, people will hear about us from doing it, and vice versa. So, yeah, it's just fun to do as well. It's it's a fun. D doesn't Bundabus mean collaboration? Or something it, 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 yeah, it loosely means coming together, collaboration. So it's an old Anglo-Indian word. So, so it's kind of fitting, isn't it, for the vibe? It is, yeah, and that's why we chose the name because it was. Uh, the beer and the food coming together to do something new, so we thought the name fit perfectly, really. Marco from Bundabust. Um, two things to say here. Firstly, if you haven't already been to Bundabust, sort yourself out, it's mega. And secondly, the Ox Club, where we went for lunch, really, really know how to do food. So go and have some. Well, that's it then. That's my visit to Leeds. Um, I've concluded one thing. I love it. I want to spend more time there. I want to eat more of their food. I want to drink more of their beer. And I want to meet more of their people. And I also learned two things whilst there. One, Cluedo, the board game, was invented in Leeds. Two, Michael Marks and Thomas Spencer set up the very first M&S there. A drunk man told me those facts at the hotel bar at two in the morning. He looked like an honest chap, so I haven't checked to make sure that they are factually correct. They may or may not be find out for yourself. That's it then. Thanks for listening.